you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I know when I read two texts, you know what happens. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 will be followed um, after I read Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Philippians chapter 2. Verse number five, let this mind be in you which also is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Verse seven, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of of a servant, everybody say a servant, and was made in the likeness of men and found, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. And did you, as I was just reading, did you see the progression of let this thought process be in you that it was in Jesus Christ who, being in the form of God, made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, made in the likeness of man, found in the fashion of man, humbled himself yet more to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I want to somehow try to connect this with 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Just one verse, verse number 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, in, in an attempt to kind of squeeze these two passages together, from the same writer writing to two different groups of people, the Corinthians and the Philippians, I want to try to pull this, pull this together because Philippians chapter 2 deals a lot with submission and it deals a lot with humility, um, submission, humility, and really servanthood is what it's really dealing with. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, of course, is trying to encourage us who are good servants of Jesus Christ to understand that our labor is not going unnoticed. 
Your sacrifice, your humility is not going unnoticed. He says it like this. Your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help this morning. I pray your blessings over this word that I am about to deliver to the hearts of these people this morning. Let our minds be sharp. Let our thoughts be quick. Let wisdom ooze from your word this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Labor Day weekend, and tomorrow is officially the day that we will honor the American worker with a national holiday. But today, I feel like it is appropriate for, to take a little time and to reflect and to honor those who have invested so much in making this church what it is. Is that all right? So I, I want to take a moment and just reflect a little bit and, and leave a few remarks this morning to those that have given so much of your time, of your talents, uh, of your labor in faithfulness. Um, I, I understand that there are times for every one of us, there are times, it doesn't matter uh, what you do, uh, where you are, there's times that we all struggle with the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? We give, and then we come up against hardships, and we, we say, God, I'm being obedient to your word, and I'm giving sacrificially, and we, we have to deal with the question, is it worth it? Uh, we work and we labor, and uh, sometimes with, with pain in our bodies, and, and when we need to be doing other things, and would rather be doing other things, you know, our teachers still have to prepare every week for their classes. And, and uh, you know, I, I, pre- I fuss sometimes about preparing three sermons a week. And uh, it's, you know, in college it was, you know, if we had to do about one term paper, uh, you know, every, every, uh, every six weeks or quarter per class. So, you know, it kind of average out that you may have to do a term paper every week. Well, uh, as a pastor, you kind of do like three sermons a week. <coughs> I'm getting no sympathy here this morning. And, uh, you know, we, we fuss about it. But then Sister Cheryl looks at me and she's like, I had to come up with 12 songs. And rehearse them and be ready. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And, and, and we, we, so we deal with the question, we'll... we'll Will the joy be worth the pain? Will the reaping be worth the labor? Will the blessing be worth the sacrifice? Will the labor be worth the payback in the end? And so the good apostle is writing and he says, Your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Because there is a reaping, and and I want to go a step further and tell you this morning, uh, that your reaping is not only just in the hereafter. You're not just going to reap a reward, an extra jewel in your crown, as some would say, or, uh, you know, a cabin a step closer to Jesus when you get to heaven. But there's more to it than all of that, because in reality, in, in the reality of it all, 
is there is a huge blessing in the here and now because in what you are doing, in your faithfulness, in your sacrifice, in your labor, your, your family's watching, your grandkids are watching, and sometimes they may be even uh, kind of like, you know, well, Grandma, why are you giving like that? You know, Christmas is just four months away. And we have to deal with that. You know, we have to... Uh, but the, but the truth of the matter is, is that they are learning by watching. Our, our, our teaching, by example, is way more powerful than our teaching by words. And anyone who pays close attention will learn from your example. And so there is a blessing in it all. But I want to tell you that it will be worth it all. Now, now, first, let me, let me just say this. Churches don't just happen. People who think good church just happens because God's Spirit mysteriously shows up and boom, everybody gets blessed and everything's perfect and everything works in harmony and we all go home blessed and come back next week for another Heavenly boom to fall. The truth is there's a lot of work involved. Churches don't just happen. There is a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Countless hours of prayer and preparation and labor that goes into the operation of a church. I, I know, and, and I'm not going to pick on the preachers this morning because... I hit them kind of hard last Sunday night with a few things, but it's it's more comical to me. I, I did uh, I, I was kind of a part time instructor at Indiana Bible College for about four years, and uh, so I got to interact with a lot of young guys and girls that were feeling their call into ministry, and they were trying to discover what ministry is and what ministry does and how ministry operates, and most of them had in their mind. That, you know, that ministry was about being on stage and having a microphone and telling people uh, this, this little message for, for 30 to 45 minutes on Sunday and uh, having the rest of the week to go play golf. But the truth is churches don't just happen. It's a lot of work. There's a lot involved. If most people had just a hint of what it really takes for a church to function in our community, it would probably blow their mind. And, and, but this one thing that we know for sure, and that is this is God's church. But the function of the church, everybody say the function of the church. The operation of the church, how the church ministers and is administered, and what the church does to meet the needs of people and, and, and minister to the needs of people and, and see people's uh, lives change. The, all of these things and the programs and all that goes on behind the scenes, this is, it's kind of mind-blowing because the function of the church will only be what we make it. If everybody depended on everybody else, then nothing would ever get done. I mean, 
at some point, somebody has to decide, oh, I'm going to do something. And so, uh, although we may not be aware, uh, even the function of this church, which I'm not declaring is the greatest church in all the world, but I'm telling you that I can't seem to find one better. Because this is where God planted me. And this is my favorite church in all the world. Because this is where God planted me and where I'm growing and where, where, where I'm being fed and where, where, where I have an opportunity to minister. But, but churches, churches don't just happen. But everybody, although the world does not know this, everybody needs a church. And in order for a church to meet the needs of their community, everybody has to do something. We are a body. We're one body but many members. Or in another text it says it like this, that we are a building that is fitly framed together. Anyone who knows anything about building understands that there's foundations and walls and rafters and, and drywall and roofs and electrical and plumbing and a lot of other things that goes on in the middle of all of it. And so it describes the church not as a building but as the body being a building that is fitly framed together, meaning that God sees and knows what what. You part you can play, what kind of, you may be a foundational pillar of the church or you may be a supporting wall of the church or, or you may be, you may be the, you know, you, you, you may have some significance in different areas of the church but whatever it is, God's saying, I will choose to use you at the point of your greatest abilities and I will fitly frame the church together. So when you look at your neighbor with all of their faults, thank God for them. When you see somebody that's got failures, thank God for them. Because God works through and around those failures. Don't thank God for the failures. They're working on those and God's working on those. But so far, I haven't yet seen a perfect church. Because I have yet to meet a perfect individual. And so since there's no perfect individuals, there's no perfect churches. And since there's no perfect churches, we all have to understand that while I can see, I can see the moat in your eye, but I'm failing to see the beam in my own. And so... We, we have to learn to work together through our faults, our strengths, our weaknesses, what I get right, what you get right, what I get wrong, what you get wrong, what drives me crazy about you, and what drives you crazy about me. It's all what we're trying, how we're, we, we, God is fitly framing the church together to do something fantastic because a church is a great place for the community. A church is a great place to raise your family. A church is a great place to make friends and build relationships. <clears throat> a church is a great place to learn and to grow. A church is a great place to meet the right people or person and to marry. 
It's better than meeting them at the bar. The church is a great place to connect, to serve, to to, to utilize uh, our our talents and our abilities. Now, now churches churches have, have physical and spiritual aspects. There's a spiritual climate and there is a physical climate. Now, about three months ago, I, I, I preached a message or taught a lesson, uh, or, or as somebody said a couple weeks ago, nice talk, you know, the person I talked about last week. So anyway, I talked about Mary and Martha. And some of you may remember me talking about Mary and Martha, but the truth is, is that there, Mary and Martha represent the two aspects of the church or the kingdom of God. There is the physical aspect and then there is the spiritual aspect. Because from the physical aspect, there takes a lot of work to make things happen. Therefore, we have to have a building. And, you know, we, we, from the physical aspect, we're building a new building, which, by the way, by the help of the Lord, October the 7th is going to be our first service in our new building. October 7th, write it down. All right. What's that? Four weeks? So, so we're trying to get there. So we just have a couple things we got to get done. We've got to get data. Uh, the, the data's got to be get finished up so we can get internet operational. Uh, our sound system, uh, it's almost in all installed. We just got to finish up the installation, get it all tweaked in, and, uh, and, and get that working. And, uh, and landscaping. We have a lot of landscaping to do. And so uh, anybody that wants to volunteer in any of those areas, come see me. I'll be glad to try to plug you in so you can make sure that we hit that date um, of, of, of uh, October 7th. So we're excited about that, ready to get moved. But... Um, from I think May the 5th was the day we raised the first walls. Um, so May the 5th was two years. So I don't know, you can figure it out. Two years, three or four months later, people have been working, given of their time, their talent. And, uh, of course, November will be three years since we actually, um, since we actually uh, uh, poured the foundation. I think we poured the foundation in November. But um, Labor Day weekend, I believe, is when... We actually started taking down the, um, the, the building. So three years ago, this weekend, is when we started actually taking down the building that was where the new building is. Three years. It's three years of labor, of work, of sacrifice. And so this whole physical dynamic, believe me, if praying would work, all us guys who have been out there working would be happy to pray and go and show up in the buildings there. Because we believe God answers prayer. And he does. He's like, okay, dummy, get up and go out there and go to work. I'm going to give you some ability and I'm going to give you the talents and I'm going to connect you with the right people. And so there's a, the physical aspect of the church requires a lot, a lot of work. Not only in just the building, but in, in all of the administration work that goes on, uh, all of the labor. Nobody has any idea the amount of work sitting here on the front, Brother Danny, Sister Cheryl. There's nobody that works any harder, guaranteed. Nobody. There's no profession in this city that works any harder at trying to make this church the best it can possibly be. Nobody has any. I mean, they, they will weep with me when, when we're going through the struggle and they rejoice with me over every victory. There's, but it requires a lot of work. 
It's the physical aspect. It requires cooperation of the church, people working together, volunteering, people volunteering, participating uh, in, in things, being willing, having taken initiative. So all of these, these physical dynamics. And then, of course, the spiritual dynamic and climate of the church is connected to the physical climate because you can't have a lot of the things in order to move a group of people, a congregation with uh, almost 300 members. Uh, you, you don't just wake up one morning and just turn that ship. It takes a lot of planning. How are we going to park everybody and seed everybody and feed everybody? And so it takes a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's easy when it's two or three, but as the church grows, it becomes more and more work. So some of the spiritual aspects of the church require a physical labor. And so that's why when we call for volunteers or we have our, we have our become groups and, and we want you to, to get connected because you're learning and, and we're learning about you and you're learning about us and we're finding where you can get plugged in, where you can volunteer, how you can help us because we're a church that is growing and not only physically and moving into a new building, but God is growing us not only numerically, but He's moving us to a whole new level. In order, in, in order for the church to go to a whole new level, that means individuals have to be going to a new level. And so all of this is happening together, and it doesn't just happen easily. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of labor. This is Labor Day weekend. I just want to honor you this morning, those that have been laboring and working and sacrificing and coming early and making sure that things happen. I recognize it. God recognizes it. And I believe that the church, even though people don't come by every week, shake your hand and say, thank you, Sister Cheryl, for that song, or, or thank you, Brother Dan, for parking my car, or, or, or you know, uh, thank you, Brother Jerry, for holding the door open. I walk in on Sunday morning. Brother Jerry's holding the door open without fail. He always gives me a strong hand shake and a good, strong, good morning, Brother Jordan. But I notice, and I don't stop every week and say, Brother Jerry, thank you. Thank you, Brother Jerry, for everything that you're doing. Thank you for coming early. Thank you for holding the door open. Thank you for shaking everybody's hand. And I don't have an opportunity, so if I could just give a blanket uh, thank you this morning because it's Labor Day weekend and we're making the church become something awesome by the help of the Lord or we are kind of involved in the work of God. So God is giving the increase, but we are doing the planning and the watering and the sowing and the harvesting and God is giving the increase. Does that make sense? So we're labors together wherever it is that you're working. The Sunday school teachers can't hear me this morning but there's nothing any greater than all of our teachers and our children's ministry that is working every Wednesday, every Sunday that is taking our kids and, and, and they're, they're giving their times and giving their talents and giving their energy. A few weeks ago, uh, my wife and, and the children's ministry group and a, a whole group, Sister Lisa and I, they're probably all out preparing a lunch on the go today. By the way, I don't think we said anything about it. I, I think there's lunch on the go today. It, it's been the last few weeks. But this week, you may have seen the pictures on social media. We received the first shipment that came in. There was a bunch of tables that came in, brand new, beautiful tables. And they're so much better than what we have because they fit the, the age groups and there's plenty of them and we 
physically. We're putting them in classrooms. And all of that has been paid for, not by special offering, but by lunch on the go, which most of us are going to eat Sunday. And so as on our way out, we just stop by and give $8, get a little food plate, eat it, and, and go on. And so they call it eating for seating. Isn't that cool? And so by their labor and your giving and your participation and the cooperation, you see what we do together? So I tip my hat this morning. If you don't know what that means, I thank you this morning. I'm honoring the church this morning because every aspect of the church, the physical and spiritual aspect of the church, all are intertwined. Listen, I love to have great prayer meetings, but I'm going to tell you something. If you've ever been part of a real Holy Ghost powerful prayer meeting. It's a lot of work. How so, pastor? Because the book of James says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so if I, I don't have the time to break it all down, but I'll just real quickly tell you the effectual, fervent prayer. The word fervent means fiery. Um, the, the effectual means a prayer that reaches heaven. So a prayer that reaches heaven that is fiery um, of a righteous man, meaning that we are living holy and righteous before God, that that accomplishes a whole lot. And so I don't believe that we just come in and say, um, Oh, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, bless, do this work in Jesus' name, and go home. But there has to be that... that, that uh, that fervent, that word fervent, it changes the dynamic of prayer. If you want your prayer to be effective, it's got to be fervent. And so when you study the word fervent, you start understanding it's a prayer with passion. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer with fire. Well, I don't think God needs to hear your, uh, hear your loud voice. Neither do I think God is going to answer a prayer that doesn't have any sacrifice on the altar. There's way more Bible for a fiery prayer than there is against it. And so my point is to have a good prayer meeting, somebody's going to have to put forth some energy. I've told people a lot of times it's much easier for me to preach a 45-minute message than lead a 45-minute prayer meeting. Because the hardest work takes place behind the scenes. And for some of our elders and young folks alike that have a prayer life and have a prayer ministry and you pray in your home and you pray at the church and you lead in prayer and you work. I want to say thank you this morning because there's days that I don't feel like getting up out of bed but it's your prayer that gives me the strength to get up. And sometimes we come to church and some of us maybe haven't prayed but it's your prayer from the week before that pushes us over the edge. Don't stop praying. Your labor is not in vain. Don't stop praying is this okay today I'm just being real about what it takes to to, to have a good church and a growing church. I want to honor those that are making this church what it is. Whatever role that you play, you may not understand somebody else's role. It may seem like it's not important. Be careful not to discourage somebody who is doing and using their gift because you think your gift is more important than those, than theirs. That's not the case. Their gift may be just as important as yours, although at this moment it's your moment to shine. But How are any of us going to to walk together except we agree? And so there's a call to unity. Truly the work of the church is the best example of servanthood. 
All of our great leaders at CLC are wonderful servants. The Bible Bible talks a lot about servanthood. Here's what I believe. The greatest leaders are always remarkable servants. I wish I could get an amen this morning. The greatest leaders are always remarkable servants. The Bible is true. Servanthood, not position. Servanthood is the pathway to greatness. Not position. Not opportunity. Servanthood. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes that people have no earthly idea. I just decided for kicks and giggles I was going to just interview a few people in the church. And so I just questioned a few people and said, hey, I just want to know what you're doing. And would you just, I want you just everything that you do this week for God, everything you do for the church, everything you do for the kingdom. I just want you, I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to make it public. I'm not going to get up and display any of those things. I just want to know what it is that you are doing behind the scenes for God my mind has been blown we have people teaching Bible studies weekly connecting with people talking to people we have a lot of guests here this morning my guess is they probably didn't just get up this morning and randomly decide to show up at CLC today But somebody has labored and worked. So here's the whole idea. Is that it requires servanthood for a church to grow. We're glad all of our guests made a decision to be here today. But I want you to know, when before you got here today, there was a lot of people that was preparing for you to be here. The yard, if you didn't pay attention, the grass is mowed and looks beautiful out there. Because somebody came and mowed the yard, volunteered. The parking lot got graded a couple weeks ago. I know it still has bumpy holes in it. Just hold on. We got a paved lot coming in four weeks. So... So my point is, is there's, there's all kind of things that happens in preparation for us to get here. These things is because people are working together. The greatest leaders are always remarkable servants. And great churches are made up of great servants. Servanthood is a practice of humility. I'm going to drop a few bombs on you here in just for a moment, and then I'm going to try to wrap this up. Servanthood is a practice of humility. Let me just be real with you. There is no such thing as an arrogant leader. Okay? I'm going to explain it to you. There are arrogant people with positions, but they're not influencing anyone. And leadership is influence. So arrogant people can have positions, but they're not influencing anybody. So they're not really leading. They're using positional power to control and manipulate people. There is a great difference between manipulation and leadership. Manipulation is you can control people because they think there's benefit in it or because they are forced. Arrogant people have hired workers that work for their own personal gain while they are helping the arrogant person also accomplish their mission. 
But leaders lead through humility by influence and have people who are willing to die for them and the mission that they are working on. That's the difference. The culture of Bible times actually thought humility was weakness. That was the culture. And I'm not so sure we don't live in that culture again today. The culture of Bible times thought that humility was weakness. Paul warns the Corinthians about it and he tells them to get over it. The issue is this. You cannot allow the world's belief system to cloud righteous thinking. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove, to prove that which is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So, so the Bible is just completely backward to societal thinking or arrogant thinking or what's in it for me thinking. Because with God, everything is in reverse to the way it is to humanity or humanism, humanistic thinking. The Bible says the last will be first in heaven. The key, listen, the key to servanthood is that we become a servant without anybody asking or forcing us to be. We're a servant before we're anything else. And we comprehend that servanthood is the pathway to greatness. So in Scripture, people ask, they ask, who will be the greatest? Do you remember that text? Who will be the greatest? Wake up your neighbor. I can't even get a Baptist nod in here this morning. So they asked Jesus, who will be the greatest? And Jesus said, he who makes himself the least. He who is the servant of all will be the greatest. Here's what the scripture said about Jesus. He made himself of no reputation. Let's just look at it. Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you. This thought process needs to be in you. That was in Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Our text. But made himself. Everybody say he made himself. That means he disciplined himself to be of no reputation. Mm. But you don't understand, Pastor, how gifted and how talented I am. Make yourself of no reputation so God can use you. Because truly to be Christian, you have to make yourself of no reputation. The more gifted and talented you are, the more you got to make yourself. The more you've got to discipline the flesh to say, no, I'm not going to receive glory. No, I'm not going to require accolades. No, I'm not going to. If, if that is all we're in it for, we are missing the whole idea of Christianity. Humility is what will bring exaltation. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, to be the greatest is to be the servant of all.
I think I read somewhere in the scripture it said something like this. Humble yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Is there anybody in here that can finish that for me this morning? Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And He will exalt you in due time. You see, when you humble yourself... He will exalt you. So we've got to reach the point of being willing to humble ourselves. I'm going to close giving you seven characteristics of a great servant. And then I'm going to wrap this up and we're going to rush to, to, get, to get dinner, maybe lunch on the go. I don't know, whatever you're doing for lunch. All right. First, the first characteristic of a great servant, to be great in God's eyes, first off, you've got to be an obedient servant. That means you don't argue with God. Everybody say obedient servant. An obedient servant. So number two, to be a great servant, you have to be found faithful. Everybody say consistency. See, it matters. You can't live for God on Sunday morning. Just a Sunday morning Christian is not going to get you very far. So it's consistency. So to be a great servant, you've got to be found faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Joseph was a great example of a servant. He was diligent about his master's business and was faithful in all things. Number three, the greatest servants motivate others. Don't ridicule them. Don't tear them down. Don't gripe and complain about them. The greatest servants motivate others. Not only do they do their work and their labor, they, mo they motivate others to do their work also. Great servants don't sit around thinking, why do I have to do everything around here? Isn't someone else supposed to be doing this? Why are we always short on workers and volunteers? Can't they see I'm already busy? Don't they realize I already have a full plate? No, 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 no. You got to stop grumbling and complaining. Number four, great servants take initiative. You don't have to be begged. You get up and do what you do because you feel and sense the responsibility to do so. Great servants. When, when, Paul, when Paul was converted after he was struck down on, on the road to Damascus and was converted to Christianity. And the, what, the first things that Saul says, he says, Lord, what would you have me to do? See the initiative there? I'm ready, God. What would you have me to do? Number five, great servants think of others before they think of themselves. Am I okay this morning? They think of others before they think of themselves. There is one distinguishing mark of this church that I think is going to push us beyond where we are. And it is when our whole mentality of everything that we do, the number one priority begins with others. Others first. Others. Not me. Not what's in it for me. What's in it for others. 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 Just say that with me. Others. Others. Great servants think of others before they think of themselves. Number six. Great servants are humble servants. 
not arrogant, not position seekers. They're humble servants. I read a story sometime back about a pastor. He was a very, very humble man. And his church was so impressed with his humility that on a Sunday morning they, they brought and gave him a solid gold lapel pin that said, world's most humble pastor. And they pinned it on him. The next Sunday he wore it on his suit. So they asked for it back. James chapter 4, verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I've been been reading some articles, and it gets dangerous sometimes. I was reading a little article the other day, and it was talking about somebody, and they said, this man is impossible to get along with because he thinks he is impossible to get along without. All right, I'll move on. All you're thinking of is lunch on the go, Pastor. Lunch on the go, Labor Day weekend. Number seven, the greatest in God's eyes will be a selfless servant. I never ask the question of what is in it for me, but it is selfless. My labor will not be in vain because God sees above all. Others do see, others do notice, but a selfless servant. John the Baptist said it like this. He must increase, but I, I must decrease. Barnabas, his whole ministry was built around introducing the Apostle Paul. Jesus said, if you will be perfect, go and sell what you have, give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. You see, it's all through the scripture. i got to close. Cheryl, please come give them help and force me to close. Greatness is not measured by how many people that you have under you, but how many people that you are serving And so on this Labor Day, I thank you for those who give, who volunteer, who work, who give of themselves. And there is a great promise in the scripture, Matthew chapter 16. And and Jesus says, he said to his disciples, those that are following him, if any man will come after me, what's the first thing that he has to do? Jesus let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There is the key. On this Labor Day weekend, I thank you for being what you are and for doing what you do. Thank you to every person that works and labors in your field, making America great. Thank you for every individual that works in this church, making CLC greater than it would be without you. Thank you. But don't ever reach a point that you think this church can't get along without me. My friends and family just, they can't make it without me. 
How about we decide that we can't make it without him? Jesus said, whoever shall save his life is going to lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake. Pastor, I'm giving so much, you're losing it for his sake. Pastor, I'm working so hard, you're doing it for his sake. You're not doing it because the pastor says or because somebody's going to mention your name from the platform. But Jesus said, if you lose your life for heaven's sake, then you're going to find the real meaning of life. See, seeking fame and fortune and recognition is not going to get you very far. And it's going to just be miserable existence of life. But as you lose your life for his sake, he said, there, that's where you're going to find the real meaning. That's the fulfillment of life because the greatest thing you can do in life is give your life away. The greatest thing you can do is bless somebody else. You want to make this the greatest labor day that you've ever experienced in your life? I dare you in the next 24 hours to just start giving your life away to your friends, your family, your neighbors. Don't go say, hey, bring me a cold glass of Coke. Why don't you take one to your neighbor? Won't you walk over one of the most fulfilling things that you can do? My neighbor just underwent hip replacement surgery. My wife walked over next door, knocked on the door, took meals to them. They didn't even know what to say or how to respond. They're just kind of looking. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And my wife said, and don't worry about it. My boys, my husband and I, we will take care of your yard. Don't The next few weeks, don't even worry about it. We're just going to take care they were at the point of tears because the world is not used to somebody who will say, I'm not asking for anything. Immediately she said, oh, here, I, well, let me get some money. I'll pay you to mow the yard. My wife said, absolutely not. You're our neighbor. You're a neighbor. What would happen in your life? The greatest, most fulfilling. I don't necessarily enjoy mowing my yard. But I'm going to tell you, Pushing a lawnmower over my neighbor's yard can be one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done in my lifetime because I don't have to do it. But because Jesus said, humble yourself and serve. Because if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. The real joy is getting involved in serving. The real joy of living is when you give your life away. And then he goes on and says, what's a man profited if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? That's the rest of that passage about giving his life away. The greatest thing you can do this morning is give your life away. I challenge you, if you're in the room today and you've never truly given your life away to God, if you've never said, Lord Jesus, I want to give my heart, my life to you. I want to turn everything I have to you. I want to just, there needs to be a new me. God, I want to give myself away to you. This is a good morning to do it. This is a good morning to do it. If God's speaking to your heart right now, I, I want to pray for you right where you are. Why don't you stand with me? I'm just going to ask the whole group, the whole room just to stand with me right now and I want to pray over you this morning. And if God moves on your heart, I'm going to open the altar here in just a moment. And you can step from where you are and just make your way to the front and say, Lord, I'm coming to give my heart, my life to you. On this Labor Day weekend, God, the best thing I can do is give my life away to you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over the room right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the best of my ability today, God, I've spoken what you put in my heart. 
We haven't ran and we haven't danced. We haven't been overly excitable today, God, but your word still has penetrated through hearts. And I sense this morning that there may be some in the room, God, that you're dealing with their heart. It's your voice that's speaking, not mine, God, but you're dealing with their heart. And they, they want to give their life and their heart to you afresh and anew. They want to turn over a new leaf today. They want to start out living life to the fullest, but giving their life away this morning. I pray you give them the courage to take that step of faith today, to take that first step and say, God, I give my heart and my life to you. We ask right now, God, give them courage. Now, all over the room, if you're standing next to somebody, why don't you just take them by the hand say, I don't want to walk alone. Just come walk with me. Just come to the front of the room today. There's room for everybody here. Why don't you just bring somebody with you today? Say, come on, let's go give our heart a fresh and a new. Maybe you've done it before, but again today I'm coming to just say, God, I'm giving my heart fully to you. I'm giving my life away to you. Because the greatness of living, the great joy of living is to give my life to you. I give myself away to you, Lord. Come on, there's room for everybody this morning. Join us. Join us here in the front. Give myself away. So you All over the building now with hands raised high toward heaven. With a pure heart open toward God this morning. Would you let this, would you let the words of this song be your prayer today? I give myself away. Here I am giving myself to you, Lord. I give myself away so you can use me. Self to you. 